Human resources, employee relations, the legal department are aligned against you. Your employer has trained for this day, the day you've become an expendable number at work. There are robust laws that may protect you, but unlike the company, you've not been drilled on how to wield them. You're playing catch-up. There are pitfalls to avoid and countermeasures to deploy that may save your job or put you in the best position to negotiate a favorable settlement. Minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. The Walking Papers podcast offers the first foray into learning how to turn the tables when you've been targeted at work. Knowledge is power. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Walking Papers podcast. I am your host, Robert Ingalls, and I am here again with Van Campen Law Associate Michael Morrison. Today, we're discussing the prevalence and impact of implicit bias in the legal profession. Thanks for joining us again, Michael. Howdy, folks. I'm excited to be with you all again discussing a topic near and dear to my heart and my work. So, Now, Michael, as a labor and employment attorney, in what ways is implicit bias specific to the work that you do? No, certainly. So as a labor and employment attorney, one thing that I concern myself with is Title VII. Title VII, preventing workplace discrimination. And so why does implicit bias matter to me? Because implicit bias isn't discrimination, but what it can do, it can influence behavior in ways that lead to discrimination. And so being aware of that allows me to better do my job as an L&E attorney. I understand that. So while it might not always be discrimination itself, it can set the stage for discriminatory actions and outcomes. Absolutely. So what types of discrimination are recognized under Title VII? Certainly. So Title VII currently recognizes two types of illegal discrimination, that being disparate treatment and disparate impact. Disparate treatment pretty much refers to intentional discrimination, where people in a protected class are deliberately treated differently. Disparate treatment theory is premised on the belief that discrimination necessarily manifests this idea of intent or motive. Disparate impact, on the other hand, refers to discrimination that is unintentional. Here, procedures look the same for everyone, but people in a protected category are often negatively affected. And so cases alleging disparate impact examine facially neutral policies or practices to determine if, as applied, they disproportionately affect protected classes. So here we see where does implicit bias come into play. So in recent years, legal researchers have begun looking to implicit bias to explain workplace discrimination, especially with the rise of policies that strictly prohibit workplace discrimination. And social cognition research and sociology indicate that implicit bias is a significant source of employment discrimination, but our current doctrine does not recognize nor address it. So as it stands, disparate impact discrimination is our only way to pursue claims of unintentional discrimination. There have been, however, attempts to reformulate intentional disparate treatment theory to better address implicit bias so that disparate impact theory is not the only anti-discrimination doctrine that addresses unintentional employment discrimination. I think many listeners, especially people who have been listening to this podcast, have a firm understanding of what discrimination is. But can you help us understand a little bit more of exactly what implicit bias is? I think that's a great first step. So for starters, the human mind is an extraordinary thing when you think about it. Hopefully we got that joke. Okay. If not, anyways, 
Psychologists estimate that the human brain processes over 11 million pieces of information per second. 11 million. But most neuroscientists also agree that the vast majority of our cognitive processes occur outside of our conscious awareness. And this is where implicit bias finds its utility. Implicit bias, or as some refer to it as unconscious bias, is our body's natural response to the task of processing this abundance of information efficiently. To function, every person must unconsciously design these mental strategies or schemas, as they're referred to, for simplifying their environment and acting on incomplete information. And to kind of dig into some of the science related to implicit bias, implicit bias research heavily draws upon the dual process model of social cognition. Here we have system one and system two information processing. System one is automatic, unconscious, and demanding a few cognitive resources. And so conditions where this is most likely to be the system will rely upon is situations where there is ambiguous or incomplete information, where one might have time constraints having to make a quick decision, or situations where cognitive control may be compromised, such as when one is fatigued or having a lot on their mind. So in contrast here, we have system two thinking. This is the more controlled, conscious, deliberate, and resource-intensive way of thinking. Now let's be honest. Most people tend to believe that nearly all of their choices are deliberate, but most of a person's everyday life is determined not by their conscious intentions and deliberate choices, but by mental processes that are put in motion by features of one's environment that oftentimes operate outside of conscious awareness and guidance. So basically, more than people care to admit, we are operating in a system one structure most of the time. Now, why is this a problem? Cognitive economy is a luxury, and it does help us function, but the repercussions are twofold. First, people unconsciously perceive members of the same group as being more similar to one another and members of different groups as more dissimilar to one another. And then secondly, in determining whether an unfamiliar item is a member of a particular category, our brains automatically do this thing where it matches a typical categorical prototype to assess its fit. So these mental shortcuts, they're based on social norms and stereotypes that we're all subject to. And they're shaped through our background, our cultural environment, and our personal experiences. And so in intergroup relations, such as within the employment setting, these biases facilitated through perception, inference, and judgment can cause discrimination whether we intend it to or not, and whether we know it or not. In fact, these implicit biases often contradict people's explicit intentions, putting the most well-intentioned person and the most egalitarian-minded individual at risk. Now, I think before we move forward, this is a really good time to distinguish the lingering elephant in the room right now. So there's a difference in being implicitly biased and being racist. Racism is the belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities, and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. A bias, on the other hand, is what we're talking about. That's a subjective preference toward a particular viewpoint or belief that prevents a person from maintaining objectivity. Now, in my opinion, 
I believe one begins to blur the lines between the two when they become aware of and indifferent to the negative outcomes produced by their implicit biases. Now, Michael, how does implicit bias show up in the legal profession? Short answer, everywhere. (laughs) Judges, advocates, litigants, police officers, and jurors, they all come to the table with implicit biases that influence how they interpret evidence, understand facts, parse legal principles, and make judgment calls. And, unfortunately, while the Sixth Amendment guarantees a defendant the right to an impartial jury, studies have shown that members of the jury are often unknowingly influenced by biases that are present in our social and cultural norms. Now, how does implicit bias specifically show up in the workplace? Of course. So implicit biases cause us to make decisions in favor of one group to the detriment of others, and they naturally creep into the workplace, undermining organizational culture. Currently, around 20% of large U.S. companies provide implicit bias trainings to their employees. And I sincerely hope this number continues to increase because of the remarkable impact a simple training can have, which we'll discuss a bit later. But when biases are not addressed, also, they can affect working relationships and trust, diverse talent recruitment, things like work productivity, promotion, professional development, and creativity and innovation in the workplace. So one thing I want to introduce before we go forward is this idea of the malleability of merit. And why is this important? Because it refers to how implicit biases can skew talent and performance reviews in addition to amplifying or mitigating workplace disciplinary measures. When one has an unconscious belief which has been molded years and years over by their lived experiences, by their cultures, by their background, it can have an impact on all decision-making. And that's why we mentioned earlier, this idea of implicit bias, it's not in and of itself discrimination, but the way it can influence behavior and influence decision-making can lead to discrimination. And so implicit bias evidence is regularly used in employment discrimination claims. Most often, at least right now, in the form of expert testimony. Expert testimony on implicit bias in the employment discrimination context essentially consists of two strands, one being general and the other being specific. And of course, the specific is the most controversial, and we'll see why. So using the general strand, empirical social science research is used to explain the phenomenon, what we're doing today, its existence what it is, how it operates, and its prevalence. And even at this generalized level, providing a social framework with detailed implicit bias research provides the fact finder with a vehicle for better understanding how these facially neutral policies can yield racial disparities. Now, under the second more controversial strand of expert testimony using implicit bias, the expert comments on the likelihood that implicit bias operates within a specific workplace. And since this is developing science, it's easy to see how that can be one that's a bit more controversial. However, it's implicit bias is not a unknown term in the workplace. It's one that guides a lot of interactions, that influences a lot of organizations' culture, and one that's used when pursuing legal claims in the workplace as well. All right. So with all of that said, what's the answer? How do we address implicit bias in the workplace? Now, that's a hard one. So I don't know if I have an answer, 
but I do have strategies and various methods to one, become aware of it. And I think it starts off with being completely honest. Everyone harbors implicit biases for or against something, someone, or a group, point blank, period. Having these biases don't make you a bad person. They make you human. And it's important to understand that before we move forward. But that's no excuse for one to ignore their effects. Here, one has to concern themselves with impact rather than intent. And while we cannot stop our brains from activating certain categorical assumptions, the application of these categories can be regulated by controlling whether we act on those assumptions. So what I'm saying is this idea of automatic and unconscious mental decisions, responses, they can be overridden with conscious and deliberate effort. But a person must be motivated. A person who is motivated to be unprejudiced can suppress biased responses, and they can make practices to be more objective and merit-based in the workplace, having awareness of these biases. Right on. Now, what are some tangible strategies that you could offer the listeners to combat the activation of these biases? So I'll first start off with this idea of cultural humility. That is a critical first step in my mind. So here, the awareness of our implicit biases and how they can affect our colleagues in work environment is critical to promoting this idea of an inclusive, equitable work environment. So cultural humility is nothing more than one acknowledging that we all have biases and committing to reducing the reliance on these biases. And there's also two other concepts that kind of help embrace the idea of cultural humility, that being motivated awareness and inclusive integrity. So motivated awareness is it's an active an ongoing effort to encounter, embrace, and understand the lived experiences of others. Motivated awareness, it requires a commitment to both a growth and a global mindset, to be motivated to understand what you don't understand, to see difference as an opportunity for exploration, not something that makes you uncomfortable and fearful. And on the other hand, inclusive integrity, that's the outward and unapologetic demonstration of a commitment to equity, quite similar to motivated awareness, but it requires the removal of self-interest, a commitment to perpetual learning and appreciative inquiry, and an implied understanding of empathy and compassion. So combine these two concepts, they allow an individual to better understand not only the world around them, but themselves. And also too, I would encourage individuals to pause and reflect. These decisions are poisoned by implicit bias because oftentimes we don't have enough time to make them. And so we're relying on these biases that exist in our subconscious to guide our decision-making when all we had to do was pause and to really think about what we were doing. And I know that's easier said than done. It's January, 2021, and we have been moving nonstop, head moving in every direction since March of 2020 and before that. But I have to encourage everyone to really take stock of their decisions and to interrogate when, why, and how they're doing things. And so I know you asked me, Rob, for tangible strategies, and I gave you what seemed to be pretty easy things to apply. But I think, I don't want to underestimate the power of discomfort. I think oftentimes we're involved in these cultural collisions because we don't know how to respond to difference, and we don't know how to have conversations across difference. 
And so when talking about implicit bias in the workplace and improving organizational cultures, it's just about pausing, realizing the things that make us different, make us unique, but also giving us an opportunity to explore all that this world has to offer. And so those would be my first tangible strategies to combat the activation of these biases, but more specific things with regard to the legal profession. Washington State has set a great example with combating implicit biases. They have a ton of jury instructions, which prime the jurors and also the judge on what implicit biases are, how pervasive they are, and how impactful they are. I'd also encourage legal training, mandatory if possible, but you know, I'll take it one step at a time. And just really finding CLEs that speak to these topics, because I don't think they're extremely hard to grasp. They might be a bit uncomfortable to apply, but the biggest thing is getting the awareness to make the first step. And that's hopefully what I did today by introducing the concept. Hopefully not a new one, but if so, that still provides the opportunity to learn and grow. And that's what this is all about. It's a never ending process of learning more about the world we occupy and the people who occupied alongside us. Well, thank you, Michael, for joining us. That was an invigorating conversation. I know we just scratched the surface of this topic and there's a lot of conversations that I hope this leads to among our listeners and, and among everyone else involved and, and society at large. I know that these, these conversations can sometimes be difficult. And sometimes that's because of these very biases that we hold that tell us there's nothing wrong. There we go. I'm okay. And it's, it's sometimes it can be hard to look inward. So, well, thank you for covering some of that with us. And we will see you here next time. There we go. Thank you for having me. All right. Congratulations for taking an important initial step in turning the tables at work. But this podcast is just an educational resource. It does not constitute legal advice and is no substitute for consulting an employment attorney about your unique situation before making legal decisions. Visit our website for more online resources and videos at ncemploymentattorneys.com. Or better yet, call 704-247-3245 for a free initial intake interview so Van Camp and Law can evaluate your case. Until next time, keep your head up and your wits about you. 